sing, but there were so many people who were far more talented than I could ever even dream of being. The list goes on and on, but let me tell you what started happening in my heart from a very young age. As I looked around and I saw the kids that were incredibly talented at sports, or I saw the kids that were incredibly smart, or the ones that got the leading roles, or they, or, or, or they, you know, they were, they were good in the plays and all these things. When I saw those people, instead of celebrating them, and instead of honoring them, actually what happened is my heart began to resent them, and I began to want what they had. I couldn't understand why I couldn't have that too. And it began to hurt me. And this happens to us as adults too. It it happens all the time and it's incredibly dangerous. For instance, let me give you an example. You know, maybe you think, well, so-and-so has the house or the job or the car that I wish I had. Or or so-and-so has these talents that, man, I wish I had those talents. Or God gave them these gifts. Why didn't he give me those gifts? Or perhaps even uglier, maybe you're thinking, you know, well, so-and-so has the kids and the family, maybe even the husband or the wife that I wish I had. And it becomes dangerous. It seems harmful or harmless enough when we think about this stuff. But let me assure you that it is not harmless. It's downright dangerous. And so over these past few weeks, as we've been kind of looking into the wisdom literature found in the Bible, uh, we've started looking at what some people refer to as the seven deadly sins. Not that these sins are any more deadly than the rest, because let me assure you, all sin is deadly, but these seven seem to seem to be especially dishonoring to God. They seem to especially be harmful to us and to others. And so we're taking a look at some of these. And that is why today in Proverbs chapter 14, Solomon clearly states this. He says, a heart at peace gives life to the body. But then he says, but envy rots the bones. In fact, the NLT version of the Bible that we have in the back of the room for you to borrow actually says, but envy is cancerous to the bones. It's cancerous. And when I look at this verse, I I see two words that pop out to me. I, I saw the word peace and I saw the word envy. These are words that are totally opposite of one another. They can't, they don't belong together. They can't coexist. Peace and envy can't live in the same place. And so because it's a word that we don't talk about too often, I just want to give us a a working definition of this word envy so that we're kind of playing off of the same field here. And a real simple way we can put it is this. Envy is wanting what someone else has. And in fact, in, in some even more extreme circumstances, it's wanting someone else's life. It's when we go, you know what, I see someone that has something better, or at least what we perceive as better. They see them as something, and instead of rejoicing in the good that we, they have, we actually weep because we don't have it. And this is dangerous. In fact, it's so dangerous here that, that, that Solomon tells us it will rot your bones. That means that it's going to take a physical toll on your body, an emotional toll on your body, a spiritual 
toll on your body, no stone left unturned. Because here's what happens. With envy, you will always feel less than. Always. With envy, you will never feel good enough. With envy, you will pay more attention to what everyone else around you says and less attention about what God says about you. With envy, you will never have enough. There's always more. With envy, you will never come to experience what Solomon tells us here is a heart at peace which gives life to the body. It's dangerous. In fact, Pastor Tim Keller, he, he wrote these words. He's in, they're strong, but he said this. In envy, we don't just want other people's lives. We resent and begrudge them their lives. And in praise, you recognize people who are better than you and you rejoice in it. But in envy, you recognize people that are better off and you burn with bitterness. Ouch. You burn with, here's the scary part about that. And the scary part is, all sin will eventually make you miserable. Eventually. All sin will eventually surface. And when it does, there's consequences. That's all sin. However, most sin will at least provide you with some kind of short-term instant gratification. Most of the time. It's that thing about that sin that causes us to want it. It causes us to keep coming back to it. It causes us to be attracted to it because it's giving us something that we like. However, here's the deal. When it comes to envy, it makes you miserable from the very start. There's no upside to envy. It begins from a negative feeling that leads us to depression and anxiety and insecurity, and then it progresses into resentment, and then that resentment explodes into full-grown anger and bitterness. There's no upside of it. It'll be, make us become the type of people that no one wants to be around. It'll make us become the type of people that we don't even want to be around ourselves sometimes. That is how ugly this is. It makes us happy when others struggle, and it makes us sad when others are happy. In fact, that is the exact opposite of what Paul tells us we should do in the book of Romans, where he writes, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Envy gets us turned around. It, it, it faces us in the wrong direction. It, it ties our hearts and our minds in knots. In fact, I would go as far as to say our bottom line today is that envy entangles us. It entangles us. It's dangerous because we're not thinking clearly. And it only takes just this small little opening, this little crack, and it can be so subtle. And it's so subtle that it, it, it shocks us. Because look, sins like anger and sins like gluttony and sins like some of those that Pastor Joe's going to talk about next week, those are visible. We usually can see when those sins are happening, but envy happens in secret quiet and it starts under the surface and it just starts to rot your bones as Solomon tells us now I know that it's kind of a heavy way to start this morning dump all that on you and and that was so let, let me let me give you the upside here I don't want to leave you with this heaviness so I want to give us today an antidote to envy and I believe it starts with the first part of this verse in chapter 14, where Solomon says, A heart at peace gives life to the body. 
And this word peace in this verse, it's actually interchangeable with the word contentment. So what Solomon's saying is, look, it's the heart of contentment that gives you peace. It's the heart of contentment that gives you life. And the problem with that is, is our culture in today's world Contentment goes against everything that we've ever been taught, everything that we've ever known, right? In fact, I was driving through Norwalk this past week, and I saw a bumper sticker on this guy's truck in front of me, and it said this, those who die with the most toys wins, right? We see it, and that is the heart of envy. Those who die with them, we live in America, I mean, we, can, we, we have the ability to obtain most anything we could ever want, and yet, yet we want what they have. And that is so dangerous. And that is why, truly, that is why our credit cards are maxed out. That is why we're all making car payments on vehicles we can't afford. That is why porn is a multi-billion dollar industry. That's why marriages are falling apart, and that is why addiction is rampant. It starts under that surface, rotting our bones, that envy. Yet Solomon says it's the heart of peace and contentment that bring life. To which maybe you're saying, okay, Charles, I get it. You convinced me. I get that this is bad. But you're talking about this peace. How, how are we supposed to obtain this peace? So let me give you some steps today to avoiding this entanglement of envy and finding a heart of peace, okay? I'm going to give you just three steps to do this, three simple ones that hopefully you can remember walking into your week. If you want to find this peace that brings the life that Solomon suggests, here's step one, okay? You got to just look inward. You got to look inward. You got to be honest uh, and, and stop and take an honest look at what is going on in my heart. And so I asked myself these questions this week, so I'm going to ask you. If I'm wrestling with them, you're going to wrestle with them. Here's the questions. What are my desires? What consumes my thoughts? Even, even I'm thinking, you know, when I wake up in the morning, what is the first thing that I start to think about? If you're like me, here's how your morning goes. Alarm goes off. Well, I'll be honest, it goes off four or five times. And then when I finally do shut it off the last time for real, I roll over and I grab my phone. And I look at my phone and I look at the messages and I see the stuff that happened over the night. But then I instantly, I open up Facebook or Instagram or whatever social media there is and I start scrolling. First thing in the morning, before my feet even hit the floor, I'm doing this. I hope I'm not the only one you're with me. And I do this. And here's what happens when I do this. I see people's perfect little lives. I see their perfect little snapshots of what's going on in their life at a perfect little moment. I see their perfect little kids, and I see their perfect little dresses for homecoming, and I see their perfect little vacations with their perfect little restaurants that they ate at, and the perfect plate of food, followed by the perfect sunset with my husband or wife, followed by the perfect car that we got into and got home. It was perfect, and I see these perfect little things, 
And you know what happens? From the time I open my eyes, I begin to be consumed and I begin to desire a thing. My desires become evident and it may not even be known. I begin to kind of normalize this anxiety and I might hit the like button or the heart button or the follow button, but I'm for real inside. There's a little piece of me that goes, man, I wish that was me. It starts from the moment I wake up. We have to look inward if we're going to find peace. And so I have to ask myself, is my desire, is my desire to seek first the kingdom of Charles, you? Or is my desire to seek first the kingdom of God? Is my desire to have a life that only reflects my greatness Or is it to have a life that reflects God's greatness? Is my desire to just keep up with appearances and to keep other people happy and keep up with them? Or is my desire to humbly serve in obedience? Is my desire to live in fear of others and what they might think? Or is my desire to live in fear of Almighty God? And that means that I'm taking Him and His Word seriously. These are tough questions that I wrestle with. And so let me encourage you with this this week. I'm going to challenge you with this this week. I wonder if you'd be willing to do this. For every morning and evening, just for one week, seven days, that's all I'm asking. All of us can do this for seven days easily. Seven days starting tomorrow morning. Would you be willing to wake up and before you grab your phone, before your feet hit the floor, Would you be willing to say this prayer every morning for a week? Say this prayer that comes from Psalm 1914, and it's simply a prayer that says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Meaning, will the things that I say today, Lord, bring you glory, make you happy? Will the things that I think and that I feel and that are in my heart and in my mind today, Lord, will it make you happy? Will it please you? And I promise you this, if you do this every morning for one week, this prayer before your feet hit the floor, it is going to shock you how during the day things are changing in your mind. How your perspective begins to change because you begin to focus less on others and what they're doing and you begin to focus more on what's going on in your own heart. It enables you to be honest. It enables you to to admit when you're struggling. It enables that entanglement of envy to begin to wash away and peace come. And here's the second part of this challenge. Not only would you be willing to do this for one week before your feet hit the floor, But then, would you be willing to do this for one week before your eyes go closed at the end of the day? Start your day, Psalm 1914. End your day with Psalm 63. It says this, O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. 
My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary. I've gazed upon upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. Do you see the heart switch that's going on here? We begin our day saying, Lord, may my words and my heart please you. And we end our day in recognition of all that he is. Our, 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 we're being consumed with God over being consumed with ourselves and everyone else. And when this happens, entanglement of envy fades. Peace begins to take its place. Step one to gaining peace is to look inward. Take an honest look. But then there's a second step. This is, and this is easy. I'm telling you, make it easy for you. Look inward, honestly. Step two, look upward. We got to look upward if we're going to find peace. In fact, Proverbs 27 goes on, or 23 goes on to say this. Do not let your heart envy sinners. But always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. So here's the deal. If we are looking upward here to find peace, then you have to ask this question. Do I have hope? Not only do I have hope, but do I have hope for things beyond the present day? Do I have a hope for the future? Because here's the deal. I can find it so easy to become envious of sinners. And let me clarify, when I say that word, sinners, this is who I'm talking about. I'm talking about those people who may be gaining things or they're they're getting things and they're completely unconcerned with what God may want for them. They're people who seem to be unhampered by conscious or or moral responsibilities. They're people who seem to disregard what God desires. They're people who seem to have it all with absolutely no consequences and no restrictions. They're the people that seem to prosper the most in our culture's eyes. But I'm telling you this, they lack one thing that is of vital importance. One thing, they lack hope. And hope is a detail that doesn't seem to matter much, right up until it does. Let me explain. As a pastor now, for several years, I have had the privilege and the opportunity to perform or officiate several funerals for people. And at funerals, there's always this element of grief. There's always an element of loss. That, that is for sure. However, if you have ever been to a funeral for one of your loved ones who, who possessed the hope of Jesus in their life, then you know the difference. Because, because here's the deal. Those without hope grieve differently. I've seen it over and over. I can tell you this from experience. Those without hope grieve with anger. They grieve with desperation. They grieve over the fact that this person is gone. Just simply gone. And that's where it ends. However, those who possess the hope of Jesus Christ in their life, I tell you this, there's still heartbreak. There's still loss. No doubt. But in the midst of that heartbreak and loss, they grieve with anticipation. They grieve with joy. 
they grieve with the, with the hope and the peace and the comfort that although this person isn't with us anymore, they're with Jesus, and someday we're going to get to spend eternity with them. They grieve differently because there is hope. Peace is possible when we look upward to hope. In fact, John recorded Jesus, and when Jesus said these words in John chapter 15 or 16, he said, I've told you all of this so you may have peace in me. Okay, he's told us all this for peace. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. That doesn't sound very peaceful, but he goes on. He says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Listen, my hope is not found in a world where envy entangles us and our peace is robbed away. My hope comes from Jesus Christ who has overcome the world. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross and he carried my sin and my shame and my guilt and all of my junk with him, my punishment with him. He took it to the cross. He died. He was buried. He rose again three days later, giving us forgiveness, giving us grace, giving us mercy, life. He gives us eternal life. And three days later, as he rose, he proved once and for all that he was the conqueror of death and the grave. He proved once and for all that he was Lord over all. And it's in him that my hope can leave fear behind. I can leave anger behind. I can leave resentment behind. I can leave these things behind because it's in him I place my hope. And it's in him that I find my peace. And it's in him that I can look upward for future hope. And then entanglement of envy begins to fade. So we have to look inward, honestly, if we want peace. We have to look upward and hope if we want peace. There's one, there's one more. Okay, one more. And this is easy for you to remember. You look inward, you look upward, and so the last one, obviously, is going to be to look outward. Those three things, you want peace. In fact, almost every wedding that I've ever been to over the years, I'm sure you've been to many, even if you're not from church or you've not read the Bible, you're not, you're not, you know, you've still heard these verses, I promise you. They're verses that from, come from 1 Corinthians 13, and they say this, that love is patient, love is kind, and then the very first thing is what? It does not envy. First on the list, it does not envy. This passage isn't specifically speaking to husbands and wives either. It's speaking to a community. It's speaking to a church. It's, it's literally saying, look, for relationships to thrive, for churches to thrive, for communities of people to thrive, then we must have peace. There must be love. And then Paul tells us that this love that he's speaking of, it doesn't envy there's no place, there's no room for envy because it'll rot away at all of those things. It'll rot away at all of our relations. And there's no good that can come from envy. So my next logical question was just then, well, okay, Paul, well, if love does not envy, what does love do? What does this kind of love look like? Where can it be found? Well, I, I have the answer. But it's not going to be as easy as you'd hoped. Because here's the deal. The love that Paul's speaking of here the love that Paul's speaking of is from these words, from Jesus. Look at John chapter 15. This is what Jesus said about love. Okay? He said this. This is my commandment. Meaning you don't have an option here. This isn't a, if I feel like it or not. No, 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 no option. This is the commandment. This is what you do. Love each other. Awesome. 
That's easy enough. We can love each other. But then he goes, no, 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 no. Let me, let me take it a step further. You love each other in the same way I have loved you. And then to which I go, uh-oh. <laughs> this takes it to a whole new level. This elevates it to a whole new place. We are to love like Jesus has loved that now it's getting crazy because here, here's the deal. Jesus' love is on a whole new plane. And so I went, well, okay, what does this look like to love as Jesus loved? You know, let me just give you a couple examples, and there's a million. I can only hit on a couple. The first one's this. Jesus served. He served. In love, Jesus served. He always elevated other people in honor. Always. He washed dirty feet. That's how he served. I find it easy to serve those people I like. I find it easy to serve those people I deem as deserving. I find it easy to serve people with clean feet. But what about those people with dirty feet? Can we serve them? Are we able to serve in love as Jesus did to people who are undeserving? I want to challenge you this week. Along with your morning and your night prayer that you're going to say every day for one week, I want to challenge you with this. Is there someone that you could serve this week? Is there someone that you could lend a hand to this week? Someone that you could meet a need for this week? And it could even be someone that you envy. Are you able to do that for someone this week? Here's another way Jesus loved. He loved generously. He, he generously gave. In love, Jesus gave. He gave his time. He gave his resources. He gave his life, and he gave his life to those who weren't deserving, and that's great news for you and me. He gave his life for us. The generosity of Jesus can't be matched, but I will argue this, that when you have a heart of generosity, you cannot have a heart of envy at the same time. It is impossible because generosity destroys envy. It, 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 they, they can't go together. And when we think of all that we have been given through Jesus Christ, how can we not in turn give and be generous back? And so I want to challenge you this week. Not only could you, could you um, serve someone, but is there someone you could be generous to? And I'm not just talking about finances, because I know some of you go, man, Charles, we're not making our bills. How do you expect us to be uh, generous with our finances? I'm not talking about just finances. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your resources. I'm talking about your life. Can you be generous with someone this week? And it could be someone that you envy, that you're generous to. Is there someone in your life you could do that with? One more. Let me just give you one more, and then, and then I'll wrap up. Jesus was also loving by being compassionate. He showed compassion. In love, Jesus showed compassion, meaning he never celebrated another person's loss. Ever. In fact, it was twice in the book of Matthew that Matthew recorded Jesus as being moved with compassion. He moved with compassion towards those who were hungry. He moved with compassion towards those who were sick or hurting. He moved with compassion to care for those people. So I want to encourage you, when you see the struggle of other people, do you kind of secretly smile and laugh about that? Or are you moved with compassion? Is there someone in your life you could be compassionate for this week? This is what it could look like. You could, 
um, send a text or a phone call or a note of just checking in, see how they're doing. You could send a card in the mail that says, man, I was just wanting you to know I'm thinking of you this week and encourage them. Thank you for what you do. It could be any of those things to remind someone that you care. And is there someone in your life that maybe you need to speak praise about or celebrate or elevate to a place of honor, even if they don't deserve it? Because that's showing compassion. Is there someone in your life you could do that for this week? Because listen, to speak the love of Christ would take more than just these few moments we have together. And I could never adequately describe the love of Christ anyway. But I'll tell you this. You get the idea. It's hard. It's messy. But it's beautiful. And it will bring you peace to your soul. And that peace will eventually wipe out that entanglement of envy. Because remember our verse, Proverbs 14. A heart at peace gives life to the body but envy rots the soul. So here's how I want to end this morning together. I'm going to give you a few moments to just kind of sit at your seat and to pray. And um, Sonia's going to come and she's going to sing a song. And as she does, I wonder if you would just sit and allow the, the words to this song to just kind of wash over you for a moment. And after they've begun to wash over you, would you begin to pray? Maybe you sit at your seat and you pray, maybe asking God to, to reveal maybe some unknowns in your heart. Ask God to show you, to point out those things that might be offensive to him. Maybe things you don't even know about or aren't aware of this morning. And then maybe you pray to God would show you someone this week, someone in your life that you could love as Jesus is loved. And I promise you, when that happens, envy doesn't stand a chance. Envy has no place in our hearts, and it has no place with us because we are people of abundant life, people with hope. It doesn't belong here. And so I wonder, can we just take a moment, let's listen to these words and pray, and then Sonia will close us out in a moment. Come. 